0: Do you crave meaningful conversations with people of different backgrounds and perspectives? Do you admire certain people from afar, but wish you can get to know them on a deeper level? Thankfully, we live in an incredible age where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond the often manufactured soundbites, small talk, and social media posts we are bombarded with on a daily basis. This is a podcast that seeks to provide you Our listeners with refreshing content from a variety of inspiring guests, a place where we can truly hear their stories. I'm Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 27 of Soul Sessions with KK. I'm your host KK, and this episode is a very special one. For those of you in my community who are listening to this, there are a lot of topics that are usually off-limits and controversial and are not spoken about publicly. This is one of those things. However, the main reason why I'm releasing this podcast is to give support to the many of you who private message me with these kind of questions and are suffering in silence. So if I do get backlash, so be it. There are far too many issues that are suppressed that deserve to see the light of day and have the potential to save marriages in a time when marriages are up against so many threats. I must preface this by pointing out that there are many rabbinical opinions out there and you should consult with your local Orthodox rabbi or anyone you generally consult with. This conversation is meant for mature audiences only and is not intended to offend anyone. In this week's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing the one and only Dr. Batsheva Marcus. I discovered her work when she was featured in a New York Times article back in 2015 as the Orthodox sex guru. Dr. Batsheva is not your typical Orthodox Jewish sex therapist. As the clinical director of May's Women's Health, she believes in both the medical and psychological components of sex therapy. In a hyper-sexualized world where sex is thrown in our faces, Dr. Batshava encourages us to not shy away from it, but rather to explore it and see what good we can take from it. In this episode, Dr. Batshava and I talk about intimacy from the perspective of Judaism as it relates to scientific data. But don't worry, we keep it kosher here. Dr. Batshava discusses the importance of having these conversations with our partners but also with others. She shows us the importance of a healthy sex life for monogamous relationships and that there are keys we can use to unlock some of the restraints imposed on us for all the wrong reasons. This episode will help you discover that if you view sex as a chore or if it gives you anxiety, you probably just need a slight change in mindset. And without further ado, I would love to introduce my guest, Dr. Batsheva Marcus. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we are here with another fascinating guest at Soul Sessions with KK. I am here with the wonderful Dr. Batsheva Marcus, who is here with us to talk about sex, and sex therapy and everything we need to know. She is a certified sex therapist, and I got to discover all about her and her day's women's sexual health center from the article I read in the New York Times in 2015. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you read something, it just sticks to you. The name of the article was The Orthodox Sex Guru, and she is an Orthodox Jewish sex counselor. but. I'm going to have Batsheva take it away. I'm going to introduce her to the show. Welcome Batsheva, to Soul Sessions with KK. Thank you for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, it's my pleasure and honor to have you here. So Bathsheba, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do?
1: Sure. So, as you said, I'm a sex therapist, but what makes me kind of different from many, many other sex therapists is not just the fact that I'm orthodox, which a lot there are others out there also. um, But I run Maze Women's Sexual Health, and what's groundbreaking about the work I do and the work that Maze Sexual Health does is that we're the one of the few centers in the country that combine the medical and the psychological. So, for many, many, many years, people assumed that if women had a problem with sex, if If they had low libido, like no desire, if they had problems getting aroused, if they had problems having orgasms, even if they had pain, that it was in their head, that there's something going on in their brain and that they're like, they had sexual trauma or they just don't have enough education. And I know that that's not true. So those things can be true. A woman can have trauma and it can shut her down. Lord knows we do not give our kids good sex education and we could talk about that. For sure. For sure. For months and months. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but for many, many women, there's also a medical component. And um, so many of the birth control pills, um, the hormones, um, other medications that we take, antidepressants can have an impact. And that's not to say you shouldn't use those things, but you should be aware of those things. And even if you're not on medications, you know, so many other medical factors become involved in our sexuality. And And so what Maze does is every time a woman comes in with an issue, we look at it from both perspectives, Mm -hmm. the psychological perspective and the medical perspective. And we work at it from both perspective and our results are amazing because of that. So I call myself a medical sex therapist, um, sexual health specialist. um, And um, I get very, very, very aggravated at sex therapists who best basically to think everything is psychological
0: Mm-hmm. I also get
1: very aggravated at the medical community who wants to just toss medicine at women and not deal with the psychological factors. But in the end, that's that's what I do. I have a book coming out in March that really, really addresses this. Oh, so excited! It's called Sex Points, um, and um, it, it's for women because, well, I, do you want me to describe the book? I don't want to yes. just talk yes, it Yes, okay. yes, I do. Okay, so here's the deal. Most women, when something's wrong with their sex life, they have a really hard time figuring out exactly what's wrong. Like they know something's not working and they can't really quite figure out what's wrong. So the book opens with a questionnaire and you fill out the questionnaire. And at the end of that, it helps you kind of pinpoint what the issues are and what issues may be affecting other issues. So that if you're having these issues that may be affecting your arousal, that might really have a secondary impact on your desire. If you're having pain, that might be affecting your ability to have an orgasm. So then once we, I've worked with you through this questionnaire to be able to figure out where your points are missing, then the best of the book is very practical, concrete advice about how to
0: gain those points back. That's so fascinating. Yeah, you know, I actually, as a college teacher, I've learned that a lot of the, you know, the problems in the bedroom arise from psychological issues. You know, you hear about medical issues, but you never really hear it both of them together, which is very interesting. So can you tell us how you got into this field? What made you go into this and not be like, just like a regular psychologist? Why sex therapy?
1: So that is a great question, Karen. Um, so I actually started in a bizarre way. I, I started, I went to social work school, but I was doing community organization. And I was working with not-for-profits. And I was basically turning around not-for-profits and kind of really loved what I did. Um, was working for Jewish organizations and you know was working as executive director. And then was getting a little bored and trying to figure out kind of what my next step would be. And um, a friend of mine who's a urologist was opening laboratories. And he said, would you come just in between while you're figuring out what you want to do to set up my laboratories for me, my infertility laboratories. And so um, 23 years ago, I joined him to set up these laboratories and he was a male sexual dysfunction specialist. He specialized in infertility, but he also specialized in men who had sexual problems. And um, I was fascinated by that. Nobody was doing the women's side at all. So um, I opened the labs for him and we made a great team. And then I said to him, let's, let's start figuring out what's going on with the women. And um, this is a great story, actually. Viagra came out in 1997. Viagra came out in 1997, um, so that was 23 years ago. And um, Viagra was made like a seismic change in the community because there were so many specialists, including this urologist I worked with, who were dealing with all kinds of ways of treating men's erectile dysfunction but now with a75 dollar visit to your doctor and a pill you could fix it and so or at least many of the cases and so an entire industry of researchers you know um, doctors you know therapists were kind of all put out of business basically overnight not put out of business but really Right. So I dropped and then all of a sudden those same people were like, huh, women, maybe it's not all women's heads. Also, maybe there's also something going on with the women that we could address. So that, it, that's where the medical p- field started paying attention to women. And um, I know some women get really aggravated because they f- feel like, you know, it's getting medicalized, but I don't really care whether they're motivated by profit, I'm happy that drug companies and researchers are now trying really hard to figure out what the medical piece is. And so I went back to school at that point, I was trained as a social worker, but I went back to get more specialized training in sex therapy. And then I went back and got my master's in public health and a PhD because I was so fascinated. And we opened the women's center and that's, that's how it happened. And just because I'm very, very, active in the Orthodox community, I often would get Orthodox patients because people, look, Nida and you know Shishpacha, it's such an important piece of this puzzle. Yeah. So um, being able to speak to that and be able to understand the language people are talking about and not make people feel like there's something wrong with them because this is a part of their life, right. made it easier to treat those patients.
0: Wow. How old were you when you, when you got into this?
1: let's see, I'm 50. Now I know I'm about to turn six. Let's just assume I'm 60. It's just easier. <laughs> I was 23 years ago. So I was, um, so I guess I was 38. Does that make me 38? 40? Yeah. It's, so I've yeah. got 38. I know because I started my PhD when my youngest was like, my oldest at this point was probably 13 around bar mitzvah time. That's when I started my that PhD. Is... And I, it was just so much fun. Like I have loved every minute in this field. To be fair, I've always been somebody very comfortable talking about sex, always, mm-hmm. and had always dreamt about writing a book about hilchot nida and how to handle it better. Um, and I am working on a book with um, Rabbi Linzer, who I do—I yes. do the joy of Dole text. Dov Linzer,
0: Dole Yes, Linzer, right? Rabbi Dov right.
1: Linzer. Right, exactly. So he and I have done a podcast for five years mm-hmm. called "The Joy of Text," and we do like all kinds of issues of Judaism and sexuality. You cannot believe um, you cannot believe the crazy, crazy questions uh, we get, and the not crazy questions and comments, and the number of people who's, Anyway, so he mm-hmm. and I are working on a book that is a huge
0: undertaking because there's so much halacha in that book. Right, right. So, do you get? I mean, when you first went into this field and you were doing the labs with this guy who is, um, he was specializing in male dysfunction. Did you get any, like, setback from your family or friends? Like, a shovel. like what are you doing? <laughs> this is not proper yeah, or anything sure. like it's that. Not
1: yeah. Sure. So I didn't actually get a lot. Let me think. Um, certainly not when I was working with him on the infertility and the sperm banking. No, really not. People thought it was funny like, you know, you're working a sperm bank, it kind of gets a reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it. Um, and I should tell you, one of the things we do now is a very specialized kind of um, semen analysis, which has allowed couples to get pregnant when they think they have no sperm. So it's life-changing miraculous. And we have a large, large Haredi population that sees us for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get pushed back for that. When I started doing my sex work, like my PhD and I think my kids thought it was pretty funny. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like my daughter was in high school when that New York Times article came out. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but honestly, they were so used to growing up with me. I mean, they all joked around about like conversations at the Shabbos table. Like their friends all wanted to come because, <laughs> you know, that was where you could actually get some real information, you know? Right. Um, so I did I get pushback? I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I was involved in sort of the feminist Orthodox community for a lot of years and was so used to getting bullied because of that, that this- Because you are
0: a part of a feminist community in the Orthodox world?
1: Yes, exactly. And that, so that, um, that- got a lot more pushback i think hmm. this more got ignored i think people don't the people who are uncomfortable with it don't really want to talk about it karen like they just right. they don't want to get they're uncomfortable with it so they won't talk about it I'm, i so I, I think when we started the podcast um people did say some really terrible things about it um which was which honestly people think that because i do this stuff i don't i don't care what people say i do actually mm-hmm. you know I, um, it's hurtful, um, especially the comments that talked about it not being Sanua. Right. We- so how do you
0: respond to that? Like the ones that say it's not Sanua. You shouldn't be talking about this in a public platform. How do you, how do you like respond to that? So
1: that one felt to me so outrageous because if I could think of any platform that would be more tsenua than a podcast, when somebody can listen and get the information that they need in earbuds in their ear privately, and the, the people, and we do, we get so many, um, you know, comments and letters from people in the really Haredi community who, for some of them, this is their only sex education. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you that very often I'll, you know, women will come up to me and I just shot this afternoon. I, I was walking down the street talking to a friend and I hear Dr. Bacheva, Dr. Bacheva. And when I hear that, I like, no, it's somebody who knows me publicly. Right. Cause nobody calls me Dr. Bacheva. My patients call me Bacheva. Um, it's funny. So it was this really lovely, sweet young man who said, Oh my God, we just moved into the neighborhood. I heard you lived here. I was really excited to see you. He said, You have done wonders for my marriage. And I was like so moved by that because we don't get, you know, Karen, we don't get good sex education. And right. um and people need to know that. And to have people, women come up to me and say, you know, I just had this last week. A woman came up to me and said to me, I heard and understood what vaginismus was because of you, because you talk about it all the time. And if I didn't know, my marriage would be in a shambles. But when we got married and I realized I couldn't have intercourse and the pain was crazy, I realized, oh, my God, I'm not nuts. Let me just go get help. And she did get help. So I, the, the idea that somehow talking about these things that are so fundamentally important is, is is wrong, kills me. And especially doing it in a way where people can listen privately in their own home. Like what could be more sort of appropriate than that? Do you, so does that make sense to you? Yeah. You-
0: yeah. I, are there certain things that you might say that can garner more uh, controversy than other things? So here's the deal. I, I
1: did my PhD thesis on vibrators and women, right? That's my, you know, I... And the irony about that, I have to tell you, is that now having talked to so many rabbis, I mean, often when pe- women are stuck and they, they're uncomfortable talking to the rabbi or their husband doesn't want to talk to the rabbi or the rabbi has questions, I'll just get on the phone with them or one of my therapists will. So vibrators are like one of the least controversial. That's what's ironic here. Right. Vibrators are, for some reason, and not for some reason, I could go in and on and on, but they're very non-controversial from a perspective. Right, they're right. More controversial, just from a sociological perspective, like people are kind of just uncomfortable with the idea of a vibrator. But here, here's the deal, Karen. They are so. I call them the most underused tool in women's arsenal. Like they can be so helpful to women. Women who have trouble having orgasms. People who are busy with their kids and want to have sex with their husband, but like don't doesn't don't have time to, for the you know 15 minutes it takes them to have an orgasm. And this way, they can do it in three minutes. Um, People who are just bored because you've been having sex with the same person who you adore and you love. So, and vibrators—they don't change your chemical makeup. They don't, you know. There's nothing intrusive about them. It's
0: the most natural way for a woman to enhance her libido. You're saying? Well, not
1: libido, but orgasm. Orgasm, so let me, right? Let me separate those things out, right? Libido is wanting to have sex. Arousal is getting turned on when you do have sex and uh, orgasm is having, being able to get enough pleasure and enough stimulation to be able to have an orgasm. And the um, vibrator can be really, and here I'm talking about external vibrators, right? Not internal ones, not ones that go into your vagina, but ones that you use outside on your clitoris. Those kind of vibrators um, can be incredibly helpful for women who have a harder time getting turned on, who have a harder time having an orgasm. So mostly I use them for arousal and orgasm um but for desire can help too if if it's more fun and you have an orgasm easily then you're going to want to have sex more likely right right back to your original question which is do i get pushback that is so from the Rabbanim, i don't get pushback from that i think most women after their first shock you know get past it i get more i think pushback on when i talk
0: about fantasizing i think you I, i've seen you talk about pornography too pornography i guess it does. yes 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 yeah so, so i mean can we get into that a little bit <laughs> yeah. because for me i've i mean i've always learned that there shouldn't be anything outside external it should just be the man and the woman without anything else like turn that mind. include the vibrator also then no no, no. not with the vibrator so much but more like pornography which is a pr- it could pose a problem that's what i've i've learned right
1: right and i never ever tell people halachic like i don't give halachic advice at all because one thing i have learned 10 rabbis 10 different opinions and right. um and the most haredi rabbis are sometimes more lenient on things than some of the less haredi rabbis so I feel like the more educated, the more a rabbi specializes in this, the better, more effective they are. So um, so in general, I feel like people are more, com- rabbinic authorities tend to be more comfortable with like reading erotica rather than watching erotica, right? Mm-hmm. So, but more than that, I just want to talk about the fact that when we think about pornography, there's just a huge range. Like what what's, some people call romance pornographic, right? Some people call you know, heavy duty porn, agra- pornography, porn, porn, some people, right. you know, that's why the, li- the, the l- line between, you know, er- romantic erotic and porn is pretty
0: gray. Some know? people call music video is pornography now. <laughs> and,
1: and totally. And you know what, they're not wrong. It sort of depends on what you're looking at. Right. So, um, I think people are really uncomfortable with the idea of fantasizing in general, like mm-hmm. thinking about anybody other than your spouse. Um, and I guess I'm coming from the school of the fact that if you want to keep a monogamous relationship interesting and fun and hot, fantasy is going to have to be a piece of that. And that most people when they're fantasizing are not actually fantasizing about another specific person. I mean, even if it's like a, even if it's a, um, like a, you know, even to Angelina Jolie, right? Like even if it's a, a movie star of some sort, um, I don't think for the most part, the guys want to have sex with Angelina Jolie. They want to have sex with the idea of Angelina Jolie. And they're, they're sometimes thinking about that and it floats in and out of their head and it allows them to be more turned on when they're with you, the person they're choosing to have sex with, right? And the same thing for you. You know, if a woman's, you know, fantasizing about a fireman, it doesn't really mean she wants to run off to the fire station and have sex with the fireman. She just wants- The to idea one... of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I feel like the more we allow our erotic brains to roam, the better our sex life will be with our partners. Mm-hmm.
0: Does, that, does, yes. that, does that make sense to you? So, yes, it does make sense to me because I, I, ha- I have a sense that people think that sex is all about just the bedroom but I've learned that it's actually, it starts outside of the bedroom. There's a book called Sex Starts in the Kitchen, um, meaning that like not literally the kitchen, but like it starts from like, the foreplay starts before, way before. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And um, I think that that's true. If you think about some of the times you may be the most turned on, you may not be actually having sex at that moment, right? One of the things that's so important to us is to keep what I'll call our erotic brain fluid. Like you want to be able to get turned on and turned off. And exercising that part of the brain is so important. It's, it's um once you shut down that part of the brain that can get turned on and turned off, like it's harder to turn it back on again. Um, I talk a lot about neuroplasticity in my book, this idea that you could actually grow parts of your brain the same way you can get better at math, you can get better at thinking about erotic things and getting turned on. And that happens. That has to happen at different points during your day, not just when you walk into the bedroom with your husband. Um, so that may be, you know, seeing something sexy on television. That may be seeing an ad, a sexy ad, and stopping for a minute. That mean, might mean walking past the firehouse and start, start and think and fantasizing for thirty seconds about the hot fireman that's in there, right? Because you want to keep yourself excited and eroticized so that when you do decide to have sex it's 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 good and it's easy to get turned on and
0: um it's not like it's not coming out of nowhere at correct. least have it correct different. it should be right.
1: a little bit further from the brain so what's what's interesting to me is sometimes those books that talk about sex starting in outside the kitchen either start in the kitchen or start you know start in the early morning is they do a lot about romance and the husband being like a better partner like doing the dishes, you know, sweeping the floor and writing. Love language. Exactly, exactly. I think that there's some truth to that. And for some women, that works great. But I will say, Karen, one thing I think is that sometimes there's a different erotic edge that you need. And that might be sending like something that feels a little... Off to your husband, or having him send you something that's a little naughty, you know, um, thinking about something that you've done with him another time that was a little bit um, risque, you know, having him sort of, you know, steal a, a really like a passionate kiss when nobody's looking, when the kids are, you know, in the other room, that there's something that, that the two of you connect on the sexual end, not just the romantic end, but the sexual end. Um, or he says something to you or you say something to him which is a little bit hot you know so that I feel like again the more you can kind of inflame or arouse yourself before you even walk into that room and some of that may be romance and some of that may be kindness but some of that may not be some of that may be a little bit more risque Mm -hmm. how does how does that sound to you Karen
0: that sounds that sounds good to me but you know this sounds great, but when it comes to reality, all of this, I feel like is more natural and it works better for young younger couples when the beginning of their relationship, when things are hot and there's major attraction in the air. But as you know, that you see a lot of couples that come to your office as time goes by and the relationship deepens and the more kids they have and you know, life cycles, it's harder to implement this. It becomes more, not a chore, but it's, it's not something that just comes natural. Yeah, I guess. I think
1: think it's fair to say it's chore, And and that's when it's most important, Karen. Like that is when it's most important. If you think having a sex life for your whole life is going to be easy, I'm going to say it's not. And, um, and, but you, it's doable. It's doable if you work on it. So in those early stage, like we have this ridiculous fantasy and fairy tale that our sex life is going to be a certain way for the first year or two, and then it's just going to keep up that way for the next right. you know, 50 years. And nothing could be further from the truth, Karen. So um, I think what people have to realize is that that is exactly when you have to work on it. When, you're, when, you, when you turn around and you and your husband haven't done anything sexy in a while, right, or haven't said anything sexy to each other in a while, or haven't, um, you know, tried something new in a while, and especially when it starts to feel like, I can't do that, like, he'll think, like, what's wrong with me, like, we've been married for 13 years, that's when you have to think about that and do it, and that maybe means having a conversation with him, you know, like, you sit down, and you say, shmooly, your husband's not shmooly, right? <laughs> no, I just guess the name. so I didn't want to, like, you be like, oh, yeah, you sit down, and <laughs> you say, well, you know, I feel like we could get a little more eroticism in this relationship. Let's talk about how to do that. Like what, what could we do? And that may mean going away for two nights. That's great, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be leaving each other kind of sexy notes, going out and buying yourself new sexy underwear. Like when was the last time a a woman who'd been married for 15 years decided I'm going to buy sexy underwear and or sexy negligee, like, and it's not necessarily for him. It's to make you feel sexy. Right. Um, Or trying something out or leaving out erotic books. And that's sometimes where porn can be a little bit helpful. It's because for some couples, they like to read erotic stories to each other or listen. And some couples like to watch a little bit together. And, and again, Karen, I went into this field, not because the anatomy interests me all that much. The long-term monogamous relationship is a hard relationship to maintain. But I feel like that is core to our Jewish values, right? We want a strong family. And you don't want a husband where you just feel like a business partner. Like you want a husband where you feel like there's something there. And and um, it's easy in the first couple of years, it's much harder later on, but you can make it
0: happen if you put the time and effort into it. What do you say to those, Hi, everyone. hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. We'll be back in a minute, but here's a quick word from our sponsor. Are you having trouble falling asleep, experiencing eye fatigue, or suffering from headaches? Yeah, that sounds like me too. Well, it likely has to do with your eyes. Studies show that blue light emanating from the screens of digital devices is damaging to the eyes causing them to strain and age rapidly while potentially leading to macular degeneration. Additionally, disrupted sleep patterns and migraines are just some of the many side effects scientists have discovered. Thanks to innovative lens technology by NYC-based eyewear brand 12, there is a solution for you. 12's blue light filtering, anti-glare, scratch-resistant, waterproof lenses shield your eyes and enhance your digital viewing experience. And they make sure you look good doing it by providing trendy and classic unisex frames that complete any look, whether casual or chic. 12 frames make for a thoughtful gift but make sure to treat yourself first. I tell you from experience, these glasses have been a godsend for me. You might ask, what if I don't have a prescription? Well, the good news is that you can wear these amazing, lightweight, durable glasses even if you don't have a prescription. It still does its job protecting your eyes since the problem is usually right in front of your face. And hey, if you already wear contact lenses, it's an ideal combo. Even when you're not staring at your phone, computer, or TV, you can simply wear it as a fashion statement when you're out and about and enjoy the UV protection it provides. So kiss that foggy brain goodbye with 12 Eyewear. As an added bonus, they offer free shipping and free returns. Make sure to follow at 12 Eyewear on Instagram now to stay tuned for the launch of their Instagram and Facebook shop which will be available in a few days. In the meantime, you can place your orders via their website, 12eyewear.com. That's 1-2-E-Y-E-W-E-A-R.com. Oh, and don't forget to save 12% on your order by using promo code KK12 at checkout. 12. Protected Eyes, Perfected Style. people who say like oh it's okay you know i have encountered so many women who are like whatever like i haven't had sex in like three months no big deal i don't even want it anymore why what would you what do you say to those women who don't care about it more they they don't think it's important to even put it into their relationship
1: i don't say anything to them because i don't see them right
0: (laughs) (laughs) but um here's the deal
1: I think people need to think a little more long-term. So right now you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed. You don't need one more project in your life. And the idea of having sex feels like another project to you. But then I would say to you, let's look ahead. A year goes by, two years go by, you and your husband aren't having sex anymore. Are you happy with that? Is he happy with that? Are you happy about how you feel about yourself? Do you feel as alive as you think you might if your sex life was on track? And that sort of becomes the issue. And, and do you want a partner where in the end you just feel like roommates? Or do you want a more vibrant relationship? And you know, at some point, your kids aren't going to be at home and they're not going to be little anymore. And I think you want a partnership where you feel like you want to giggle with each other when you're alone. Sometimes, not all the time. It's not a fairy tale. But um, there's a wonderful movie that I loved because I think it did such a good job showing this. Um, it was called Hope's... Springs, did you see it? Manny no, Jones? no. Okay, it was Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones. So how can you go wrong with that cast? Okay. Right. And yeah. basically they're an older couple. They're probably on my age, maybe 60, and they haven't had sex in a bunch of years, and they're sleeping in separate bedrooms, and she's so lonely. And she's so lonely. And she says, We have to fix this. And if we don't fix it, I'm I'm gonna have to get out of here. And y- you watch them change. It's you know, Hollywood, so change happens faster than one would think, but um, what I loved about it is it shows the change in the relationship at the end. It wasn't just about the intercourse and the sex. Like it was about the fact that at the end you see them laughing with each other, mm-hmm. you know, like at some point, like he had said something about fantasizing about a neighbor at some point during the therapy. And she was like, what, you know, anyway, and then they're standing outside by the car and the neighbor walks by and they look at each other and they just start to laugh. Like you just feel like there's now there's there, there there's love there and it's it's, it's not just under the surface, it's, it's palpable. And mm-hmm. I think it changes the tenor of a relationship. So right, if a woman right. really doesn't care and her husband really doesn't care and they don't want to fix it, you know, I am not going to tell people what you have to have in your life. You know, I'm seriously, But I do think that most people are going to be happier in the long run if they have a sex life with their partner that they love. Right. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think so. It's just, I think there's so many distractions in our society, especially today with our smartphones, um, where there's, you know, scantily clad women everywhere. There's enticing movies and songs, and there's just constant distractions that I think it's imperative for a monogamous relationship to work on this aspect of the relationship in order to, like, rise above all the... You know, all the junk that's coming through.
1: Well, maybe use the junk. See, that's where like Okay, when say, so you, that's home.
0: an interesting like, perspective. Use right. the junk,
1: right? Like you're gonna if you if you stop saying, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and you say, Yeah, you know what? I just saw this hot ad and it did turn me on and I made me start fantasizing. And I'm 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 texting my husband because I draw this I just saw this totally hot ad, or he says, sees this totally hot ad and he's like, Honey, I just want you to know. I miss you, you know what I mean? Like, when you guys know that that's code, then I mean, that changes
0: everything, right? So, you know, like the Fifty Shades phenomenon, obviously, is yes. from like yes years ago. I think it was like eight years ago, I don't know. But I can't tell you. Was it you, really right? that long ago? No, I don't know, was it like, I don't know, whatever, six years ago? Oh my ago? God, yes. I don't know. <laughs> but that book, like, revives women's sex lives. You know, like people read the book and they're like, oh my, I couldn't get off my husband. <laughs> like I wanted to just always- So tell mad.
1: me, so, sh- so look at that. That was that. And you say to me, don't use pornography. And I say, like well, that book was pornography. <laughs> yeah, but then after a week, it just went back
0: to the monotonous
1: relationship. Correct, because people didn't realize they needed to sort of build that into their life, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of other great stories out there. And if you ro- realize that reading stories turns you on, build that into your life, right? Like in other words, people stop thinking of it as work, right? That's what- And I I, I like to, you know, it took me a long time to, like, come out of the closet with this analogy, which is exercise. You know, I'm a huge believer in exercise. I love, I'm not actually, I'm a big movement. I love to move. I just think moving, dancing. I tap dance for myself in my bedroom because nobody would possibly want to see. Um, So I'm trying to learn how to hula hoop. Like, I'm really into moving, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the deal. You know, exercise is good for you. You know, once you do it, it feels good. You know, to get it as part of your life, you need to kind of find the exercise or the movement that you enjoy. You just need to build it into your life. I feel like, I know it sounds so unsexy, but sex should be like that. It makes us feel really good. It's really good for our relationships. It's really good for us. And so, yes, you need to kind of get into the groove to do it. But then once you're doing it, you probably love it, and if you do it regularly, you love it more. And sometimes you have amazing sex, and a lot of times you have okay sex. But you're never going to have amazing sex unless you're having okay sex once in a while. Does it? How does that? How does that hit you? Does that hit you like it makes sense
0: to you, or that makes sense? I something that is conflicting me a lot, and I think Esther Perel talks about it. Is how does a monogamous couple who has all these domestic chores and routines and you know that that predictable part of their relationship how do they keep both parts of these relationships afloat because I feel as though when you focus on the adventurous part of the relationship where it's you know, the sexuality and the adventure and the unpredictability, then you're kind of uh, losing balance in the other aspects. But when you have, like, your domestic game on and, like, your great mom and you got your kitchen is, like, clean, then... It's just so hard to balance both worlds. It is hard.
1: And I think you need to say to yourself the sex piece is a small piece. It's not like it is not the same as the balabusta piece, right? Which is what you're saying, right? The right. part of you that wants to be a great mom and take care of the kitchen and all that is a huge piece. The sex piece is a smaller piece and but it's an important piece. So that means that if you decide you're going to every morning or three times a week, you're gonna read an erotic story first thing in the morning because it gets your brain going. If that means making sure that you and your husband have a sex date or getting naked in bed date once a week, and that's just you know sacrosanct time that you're gonna do that. Um, If that means that you and your husband decide every other week somebody takes responsibility for thinking of something fun to do in the bedroom, bringing in whipped cream or bringing a new vibrator. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't need, it's not like your whole personality has to change in order to do this, Think of it as dessert. You still, you cook all your dinner, but there should, you know, you want healthy foods. You want foods that are good for the family, that make you feel good, you know, but dessert's fun. And you should have a little bit of dessert in your life. Even, and sometimes it means working on the dessert. You got to work on the dessert. Dessert doesn't just appear, but it's fun to have it anyway.
0: Right. I love that. I really like that. Okay. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the most, Common reasons c- people come to sex therapy. To your practice.
1: So, um, so I, I, our practice is a little different than most ther- sex therapists, but I'll give you both answers. Yeah. Uh, I know we're probably heading out of time, so I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so, I think the biggest issue for most women now would be um, low libido, lack of desire, or at least what they think of as lack of desire. Sometimes it's problems with arousal. That is a lot of what people come for. And that, as I said, can be a combination of some of the things you and I just talked about, right? Like their lives, but it also can be medications they're on or getting older and the hormones dropping.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so and I think that's what most people come to sex therapists for, for the most part. That can is- I
0: interrupt you for a second? Sure. Can you just distinguish the difference between libido and arousal? Because I get a little bit confused between- Yeah, you and the, and the rest arousal. of the
1: world. You and the rest yeah. of the world I have a whole- just
0: explain that again? chapter on that in
1: my book because- Okay. <laughs> so do not feel funny. So the desire or libido is I want to have sex, right? Arousal is I get turned on, okay? So they're different, even though you think of them as being the same, but they're different. So there are some women who really do get very turned on and have orgasms very easily- and still do not want to have sex. They're just not interested in it, right?
0: That's so interesting.
1: Right, you think it's like, then there's some women who like really wanna have sex, except that their body feels dead once they get started. Hmm. So, right, so I know it's hard to understand that separation, but they are really different. And if I say to a woman, oh, if I made it easy for you to get turned on, if you got turned on and had a great orgasm, would you wanna have sex? She'd be like, yes, well then her desire is okay. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the women who says i do get turned on i have orgasms i still don't want to have sex again for another month they seem to be different pathways in the brain does that make yes 100% yeah. well i think most women come in for low desire sometimes low arousal that they think is low desire for all the reasons you just mentioned right so our center we also get massive amounts of people coming up with pain because right. sexual so the medical
0: part that you were talking about
1: well, the low desire can also be medical, right? It could be hormonal. It could be- Oh, right. Every, everything could be. And the pain is primarily physiological, right? It's physical, but it creates so much psychological damage with it. If you're a woman, young woman who can't have penetration and you don't date because you're petrified or you've been married for you know six months or a year and your marriage is like rocky because you don't know what's going on because you can't have intercourse- or you're a you know fifty year old woman who's wants to be connected to her husband, but somehow it hurts so badly now she can't. Um, so there's so much psychological issues that come into that damage that happens because of that. So so I so I would say in our center it's probably fifty percent pain and fifty percent like low libido. Most sex therapists it's going to be low libido. Um, Sometimes you're going to have a sex therapists who women are coming in, they just don't know anything. They just don't know their body. They don't know orgasm. You know, but nowadays with the you know, with the advent of the internet, it's, it's easier to get information. So.
0: Right. For sure. Uh, With the low libido, I know every case is different, obviously everyone has a different situation, but uh, from a psychological perspective, how to, how would you treat a woman who has low libido? I know like medically there are drugs that can like so I, I I would do an assessment because I would say
1: that it's very possible. I'd say to the woman, you're going to be way more effective treating this if you go at it from both ways. If you do it from the drug part and the therapy part,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: If if drugs give you A and therapy gives you A, then the resulting combination is not A plus A. It's A squared. So it's going to mm-hmm. be more effective. But um, what
0: if women don't want to take the medical route and they just so- want to?
1: So I will do, we will do the therapy. A lot of the things you and I started talking about, right? Like trying to turn on that part of her brain, getting that part of her brain more connected and erotic, um, and radically connected, trying to sort of see her husband in a different light, trying to build in like specific times and ways of having sex. But I will tell you, Karen, here's where I really separate from other sex therapists. Sometimes I will say to a woman, I don't think this is going to work without the medical piece of it right? So, um, you know, if you take a 10-year-old girl and you want to get her turned on, it doesn't matter how many lovely conversations you have with her or rose petals you leave on her bed, she doesn't have the hormonal makeup to get turned on, right? So if you're, if you're 50 years old or whatever, you just had baby number three, and your hormones are those of a 10 year old do you know I mean? It's going to be really frustrating for you and your husband to be trying all of these things and not getting very far. And, um, and then you end up blaming her yourself again. Like I'm not doing it well enough. I'm not <laughs> trying hard enough. I, I didn't make him more erotic. I didn't read more erotic things. We didn't have enough conversations about it. I hate that. I hate when women get stuck in a cycle of self-blame, like it shouldn't be that hard.
0: I think a lot, yeah, but I think a lot of women are scared of the medical because of the side effects or like things they hear that God forbid it could cause this or.
1: Yeah, I think women are very scared. And I think, you know, going to a practitioner who really can give you the data and show you what's involved and trying something for a few months, maybe a way to go. Um, And, and, you know, I'm always saying like, you don't, nobody has to pick, you don't have to do the drugs. I just feel like you don't want to set yourself up for failure. And I think that we sometimes, you know, make women feel worse about themselves after they've sort of tried these things and they're still not working.
0: Right, right. I see that. Uh, I want to go back to that part of the conversation where we were talking about religious Jews. And it's interesting because I feel that religion can sometimes be an impediment to sexuality when it's, honestly, it's supposed to, isn't it supposed to be like helpful towards bringing the husband and wife together in the bedroom? But unfortunately, a lot of people use religion and like the holiness and all of that. And it actually becomes, it it, it goes to their detriment of the relationship so how how do we like how do religious jews have healthy holy sexuality with God in their lives, too. You
1: know, Karen, that is such a fabulous question. And it's like the $64,000 question. Like, yes, I feel like so many religious women in particular, but men have their own issues, too. Grow up with no education, no sex education. So much shame. Um, so they don't many,
0: let us spill seed
1: and all yeah, of that. so many distorted ideas. and And it's not like the educators or the college teachers are trying to ingrain negative messages. Um, they grew up with negative messages themselves. Right. So, um, so, so, and I don't believe that Judaism as a whole, although there's lots of different voices in Judaism wants there to be a negative idea about sex. And one of the things we do on the joy of text is try to look at actual short texts that like, try to read them in a way that's maybe more sex positive to make people aware of that there are other ways to read text other than the negative sex negative ways. Um, I think we have to be honest, Karen. I think the starting point is being honest. W- what you just said is so important. Like, yes, Hilchot Nita work really well for some Couples. For some couples, you know, not having sex half the month or one week out of you know a couple months if you're on birth control pills is actually charming and allows them to kind of want each other again. And for some couples, it's a total disaster area. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. and if we're honest about that and we say like some things work better for other couples, it doesn't mean you don't have to keep the halacha. It doesn't mean the halacha isn't the halacha. It just means that we can try to help you. Right. Um, And
0: yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not even talking so much about halacha. I'm I'm talking about these like these ideas that go into like yes. his heads about like not the so, new one. What's yes, that? like what's the new I'm a one?
1: slut if I if I buy these like if I buy this really like you know risque you know red teddy I'm a slut yeah. or if I want him to tie me up or I want him to tie you, you uh, whatever I want to tie him up like, or if I say the wrong thing or oh, right, if not- I use street language, you know what I mean Yeah. The only thing I can tell you is to liberate yourself from that is to have more more conversations. That's the only way, because um, I don't believe Judaism wants us to have, you know, stultified sex lives, like, because that's not going to be good for marriages. So, um, you know, I, and you know, it's so interesting because I feel like sometimes the Haredi rabbis are better about this in a weird way because the Gemara mm. is so like, you know, direct about things. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes these women's hang ups come from not really from Judaism so much as from, you know, it's the like way we were raised. Christian,
0: I think. I don't know.
1: Well, it's just it's just a shame that we were raised. It starts with sex education and talking to kids. So, yeah.
0: Okay. So, on one hand, we have people who go, grew, grew up in a religious background, went to an old girls' school, and they have all these ideas in their head about sexuality how it's like oh you can't do this and you can't do that but then on the other hand there are women who didn't grow up with that and everything was open they grew up with mtv and now they're now the the TikTok's the new mtv right now Um, everything's out of the open i mean did you hear uh what's her name that new rapper cardi b cardi b's new song I mean, it's like everything's out in the open. Like, What's sexual- your new song? I
1: have not heard it.
0: <laughs> oh, look it up. Wop.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Oh, the WAP song the WAP song. Yeah, okay, okay. I mean, every like little teeny bopper is singing that song and doing the WAP dance. So is that helpful towards like a healthy sexuality? Like where do we draw the line? So
1: I'm not sure it's about line drawing and it's more about talking, and, and I often will say, we live in such a funny time, we're drenched, exactly what you're saying, we're drenched with sexuality around us, right, like it's just all over the place, everywhere, it's in the, the songs, and the the TikTok, and Instagram, and the billboards, and everywhere you turn, but we're not having real conversations about sex, so forget trying to get rid of that, I don't think, I think having real conversations with our daughters, with our friends, with women just supporting each other, like support groups kinds of things, like with sex educators. And that gets us back to how angry I am when people say that it's not Sanua that I'm talking about sex. Because I feel like the way that I talk about sex, the way that Rabbi Linzer, Dove Linzer talks about sex is so respectful and so um, so empowering and so... I think you, and I'm going to say the same thing about pornography for our kids, right? You can't stop your kids from seeing porn. You can try, you can put as many guards on your phone or whatever. Your kids are going to find porn. The only thing, (laughs) I promise you, the only thing that's going to inoculate them against porn is talking about it if you talk to them, if you allow them to ask you questions, if you warn them about things, if you just let them know, and that's true about sex also, if we talk about it in a grown-up, realistic, not horrified, and not fairy tale way, then we can navigate all the crazy sex around us.
0: Mm-hmm. But is there a way to also perhaps prevent all this excessive sexuality with our children? Or like it's, I, I don't, like, honestly, okay, go in there. Like,
1: I don't think, no, I'm not saying you don't say go in there <laughs> and not, or no, not at all. You can sit, you can have conversations that I've done a lot of talks on talking to kids about sex. So you can look that up. I have it on Facebook under Dr. Rachava. I have some on Instagram, I think, maybe. Anyway, um, so you do not, It is. this is not a matter of, yeah, go ahead, watch the porn. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about having converse, honest, open conversations with your children about sex in general. And when it comes to porn, explaining what porn is, understanding, because even if you try and you maybe you will and should keep them from it, I promise you, I promise you that with kids... One of their friends has phones. Somebody has a computer. They will stumble upon porn, and if they can't talk to you about it, and you haven't talked to them about it, then they will be totally like overwhelmed by it. And if you talk about what it is and why you don't like it, and why you think it maybe is bad values, and what's the problems with it, then then they'll have a context to put it in, and they can maybe come talk to you about it, or they can put it away on a shelf in their brain. So um, if you'd like, we can have a whole other conversation at that. Yeah,
0: there's so much that. to talk about. Um, wow, I have so many questions for you. Do you have any role models that inspired you to become a sex therapist? Any Jewish sex therapist?
1: Oh my God, that is the first time anybody has asked me that question. I've been asked <laughs> every question I can think of. I'm going to tell you the answer is no. I didn't. I mean, I grew up with Dr. Ruth, like everybody yeah. did. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and I thought it was great that she was talking about things. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, god i don't actually i um yeah i uh wow <laughs> um i i have i will tell you that you know kinsey who was the first re- sex researcher is really one of my heroes mm-hmm. um and love you
0: have an hbo show about him right yeah uh
1: no 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 so- no that well, was that's Masters someone else johnson. that was Master johnson they oh, did a yeah, great yeah. movie called kinsey which was amazing and i love Kinsey and he's that's movie worth watching the Masters and Johnson movie that they did the show on not so crazy about Mm -hmm. um and um and also um Jack Marin who's another sex researcher who wrote a book called the erotic mind I think he's dead now whatever he was a big I am a huge fan of his so not classically what you would think exactly but you know Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. so can you just um we're gonna wrap it up And I want to know what are some of your hopes and dreams for the world?
1: I love that question. I hope that we can open up the conversation about sex a little bit more, like less emotionally and more informationally and kindly and make spaces for women to talk about some of this stuff. Um, I hope that we as parents can do a better job with the next generation of kids so that young girls grow up like. Appreciating their body, not being embarrassed about their body, not ending up with eating disorders, and being able to enter into sexual relations without some of the struggles that many women today do. Yes, mm-hmm. those I would say were my hopes and my dreams.
0: Beautiful, thank you so much. Can you also just tell the audience where people can find you? Sure all of your platforms
1: all over the place okay. Yes. Dr. Bacheva D-R um at on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm gonna highly recommend that people join a new book club I started on Facebook called the Ultimate Sex Book Club. And I'm gonna, I have a bunch of other sex therapists who are moderators, and uh, each month we're gonna pick another book. We're starting first book September first, we or we started. I don't know when this podcast can, is coming out. Mm-hmm. September first, we're doing She Comes First. Did you read that book, Karen? I've heard of. Is it a pink cover? Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I heard about it.
1: And it's about women's sexuality. Great book. And so we'll be discussing that book all through September and October. There'll be a new book. Um, in addition, though, I'm also bringing on authors and, and other new books that are coming out. Just sort of as side. As I'm actually going on, if, you know, I'm going on with Ian Kerner, who is who wrote. Um, wait a second. Let me back up. The book we're doing in September is "Come as You Are." Is that what I said? Yeah, you said she comes she come first. first. Come okay. as you and are. I,
0: yes. Yes,
1: exactly. So the book we're doing in September is Come As You Are, and that's a women's sexuality book. I am going live, that's why I hesitated for a second. I'm going live with Ian Kerner, who wrote She Comes First, which is probably the best selling sex book out there. He's sold half a million copies. Um he has another book coming out, but I'm going on September 1st. I'm going live with him to talk about his book. Super oh, cool. Wow. Super excited. And I also got um, Paul Johanides who wrote The Guide to Getting It On, which is another one of my absolute favorites, who's going to also be coming on with me live at some point soon.
0: That's
1: awesome. Um, so at the, sex, the Ultimate Sex Book Club, women should totally look it up. I think- it's, it's on Facebook, you said, right? It's on Facebook. It's the only platform I couldn't do it on Instagram, but it's really a labor of love. The idea that we all can grow so much by reading these books and sharing with each other, Super
0: excited about this. Beautiful. And can you also tell the audience about your podcast? Yes, The Joy of Text. We've been doing it for five years,
1: quarter of a million listeners mm-hmm. now. Um, that was also a labor of love. We started it five years ago as a one year project, um, but the response was so overwhelming. And we still are getting so many comments and letters and things from people. And people have said it like changed their sex life and it saved them. And so, you know, we just, keep doing it, and we, they come, at, it's only once a month, um, and we have these mini episodes that do texts, and most of the episodes have topics, and the Joy of Text, you can find it on Jewish Public Media, but anywhere, you know, Spotify, anywhere where you get your, and like,
0: hopefully you're going to be coming out with a book, God willing soon. And the, the, for
1: sure, the, well, please God, yes. March, March, yes, Sex Points.
0: Wow, very nice. Dr. Batsheva, thank you so much for being here on my show, and educating the public about different things in the bedroom, sexual problems, and also most importantly about communicating about sex and that having sex is not a bad thing. is actually an amazing thing for your marriage, for monogamous relationships. If you want a vibrant life and not a dull life, you need to educate yourself and you have to work on your sex life. So thank you so much for being here.
1: My and- pleasure.
0: And uh, yeah, you guys can find her on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Batsheva. And everything else she said, I'm going to put it in the bio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to Soul Sessions with KK. The goal of this podcast is to awaken your soul to different perspectives. Perspectives that might be very, very different from yours. And I really, really admire the quote from Pierre K. Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, that says, who is wise? The one who learns from others. That is the goal of this show, for us to learn from other people, because that's what makes us wiser and better people. Anyway, it would mean the world to me if you can leave a review on my podcast. And also, if you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk. See you later. Thank you.